You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Megan Pitcock, and today I'm talking with Gerard Simica, who is chairman of the Free Market Group Consumer Action for a Strong Economy, or the Case Group. Thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me, Megan. Great so, to be here. So first of all, can you explain who Case is and what you do? Yes. Case, uh, Consumer Action for a Strong Economy, was started in 2016 as a free market consumer organization where filling the gap uh, in the uh, advocacy area. Typically, you, some of your listeners may have heard of people like Ralph Nader uh, and consumer activists who invariably look for more government regulation. Uh, they see consumers as you know victims or uneducated. And they're usually pushing for, almost always pushing for, uh, more government restrictions and oversight. And we think consumers uh, benefit most from the free market. Now, there certainly should be some uh, regulations in play, uh, some light-touch regulations, minimal things to make sure people don't put, um, you know, mercury in the fish or that uh, their advertisements, are telling the truth about what their products do. That's something consumers have a right to know about. But but generally speaking, we support policies that allow the free market to flourish so there's greater competition, uh, more investment, more innovation. Consumers get more choices at lower prices, and it, it uh, benefits everybody. So uh, from a consumer standpoint, we are more to the the right uh, for less government and lower taxes and just letting consumers uh, make decisions about what to do with their money. Okay. So then recently consumers may have seen op-eds in the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal about mm. the can tax or the tin tariff. Um, why is this right. coming up now? Well, <clears throat> it's very interesting because... Uh, in my work, I rarely see the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post on the same side of an issue. Um, and, you know, it's somewhat for different reasons, but both reasons are valid. There is a steel company, a very large steel company called Cleveland Cliffs out in Cleveland, and they are looking for protectionist tariffs against eight of our trading partners on tin plate steel, which is used in products people buy every day from corn to uh, meat to pasta to pet food to motor oil. You know, cans are a real staple of our economy. And uh, they really put most of their steel production to the auto industry. Very little uh, is made here in America. American steelmakers don't even produce enough tin plate steel for domestic can manufacturers who need it. So, our economy depends upon imported steel, and some of the imported steel is actually of a, a variety of uh, that we don't make here. Uh, we're, some of these countries have invested in upgrading their plants and their materials, so the convenient cans with the double seals that extend the life of food or have the pop tops and things like that we don't even make here, and they want to put a tariff on it, which means that anything that you buy in a can is going to go up anywhere from 30 to 58 cents, which is a pretty significant hit, especially given the fact that 
uh, people use, buy canned products because of their affordability and also because I'm sure all your listeners are aware we've had the worst bout of inflation in 40 years uh, for the past two years. So that's the last thing we could use right now. Uh, where do we get tin from largely? Is it You said it's mostly imported. We don't make it here, but where is that? Well, the, the tin process, you know, it's, it's mined. And then the uh, it, Cleveland Cliffs is a vertical company. They actually do mine it. And there's only three companies that make tin plate steel. Um, and I'm not an engineer. I know that there's a, uh, a, a type that they are not even sharing with other companies. So U.S. Steel is a large company that makes tin plate. There's Cleveland Cliffs, and there's a, a smaller company uh, that um, will take the steel and, and create the tin plate needed for the cans. So we've actually, U.S. production has actually scaled back. There were about 18 different assembly lines about five or six years ago that made uh, tin plate steel, and now there's about half of that. Because, uh, again, steel companies are shifting to other types of steel that are more profitable and more necessary, all kinds of different uh, electric, uh, engineering, electrical, technological, uh, heavy equipment, you know, automotive. So there's just a few companies left that produce this kind of steel. And so, yeah, it's mined and then, you know, processed um, uh, for the tin plate qualities. What they also do is the... Um, and again, not an engineer, but they, mm-hmm. it, it is mixed with um, another alloy and ionized. And so you, you get that uh, combination of metals that are both structurally sound and also have uh, great um, preservative qualities. So, you, you know, you can have a can of beans on the shelf for years, maybe. I don't know. Check the expiration date. Don't, don't rely on me. Mm-hmm. But so that's the benefit of it. And, but also you see today... Uh, packaging has come a long way. We have, you know, different kinds of uh, boxes and pouches and sealable containers. Um, people are, uh, companies are putting more and more products in, in different and innovative types of packaging. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why steel production uh, tin plate has decreased over time, whereas some of the foreign companies, Germany, the Netherlands, South Korea, some of our really best trading partners, you know, they're still uh, they're still producing it. There's more of a need for it in Europe. And American companies have largely invested in, in different types of steel production. So that's leaving us, you know, dependent upon some of this foreign steel. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, then, why is there a tariff on tin rather than any other type of metal? There are a large um, number of tariffs across all kinds of steel currently in existence. Uh, uh, President Trump back in 2018 instituted a steel tariff that was very restrictive. It, it, it really hit China very hard, and China is one of those countries that you know they do engage in dumping. They subsidize their steel industries and then bring it over to um, ship it overseas at the low market cost. And the benefit for them is to put our companies out of business. So, uh, so then they can, you know, dominate the market. But uh, so Donald Trump put 
uh, some heavy tariffs on um, a lot of countries that were importing steel here, including some in Europe, this, um, Canada and Mexico as well. Now, we have a free trade agreement with those two countries. It was an update of NAFTA, and so those are largely gone. The tariffs with uh, Canada and Mexico are largely gone. But some of the other tariffs are still in place. And so uh, even after President Trump put the tariffs on tin plate steel and, uh, and a bunch of other types of steel as well, the, you see American companies still shifting away from tin plate. So the, he created a very beneficial environment for companies like Cleveland Cliffs to say, hey, uh, now imported steel is more expensive. Now's a good time for us to you know, ramp up production and meet the needs of domestic ma- makers. But they didn't do that. They, they, again, they shifted their production into a, another area. So the tariffs that Cleveland Cliffs would like to have imposed on tin plate steel are in addition to tariffs that are already in existence. So um, it's a very complicated you know, formula that the Department of Commerce, along with the International Trade Commission, you, you know, they look and see if um, imports are increasing to the extent that it might threaten domestic manufacturers. Uh, so they have quotas sometimes, or tariffs can change over the course of the year. It's, you know, so they're just uh, whatever you have in order to determine what a tariff might be at any one moment. I don't, I certainly don't have it, but it can get pretty complicated is the point. And mm-hmm. uh, the petition that Cleveland Cliffs filed is very suspicious. It doesn't really meet the burden of the case that these companies are unfairly dumping steel in America. Um, so that's if you look at the prices that they sell it for domestically and with what their prices have been historically, it, it tracks a lot along with what American prices are. You're not seeing huge decreases in their costs in order to uh, sell more steel and put steel companies in the U.S. out of business. They're very competitive with us. So there's a lot going on there as far as, um, you know, the questionable details regarding their claim. Now, there's some kinds of steel that are very important for, for national security reasons, things for armament, things for national defense. And, you know, in that case, um, it's less of a free market issue. It's a national security issue. So it would be important to have steel sourced within the U.S. But that's an entirely different issue from this consumer one where, you know, your listeners and their families, uh, you know, it's less money to be able to spend on other things you may want to do, other uh, paying down debt. Uh, increasing your savings, maybe making a major purchase. This is just a really very dangerous and harmful thing. Uh, people on fixed incomes or people just getting their first jobs, uh, kind of just starting out, and you're in a lower salary range, you know, things in cans can be a huge help in making you uh, meet your budget and make ends meet. So this would benefit one company really at the expense of pretty much everybody else. So this is primarily beneficial to this specific company rather than the nation as a whole. Yeah, they and their union filed this uh, for they apparently about six hundred or so steel workers that this uh, would 
in their own claims would would save their jobs, would protect their jobs. Uh, but for every steel job that it claims to protect, there are about 600 jobs in other areas uh, in manufacturing that could be lost. And you always see this with steel tariffs. So a company, for example, that might make uh, all the way down the line, a can-making company who, make, who takes the tin plate and makes the cans, the um, the tin will obviously be more expensive, so they can't produce as much, so they'll have to lay off workers. The finished products, if it's Bush's Beans or Pedigree Dog Food, they're not going to have as many cans, so their production's going get to get cut down as well, and they'll have to lay off people. Uh, if you have farmers or people working in food processing and agriculture and dozens of other industries that are dependent upon cans, well, when the prices go up, uh, you're production goes down if it's an artificial you know, tax like a, like a tariff is. So that has repercussions all the way through the economy. And up to 40,000 jobs in other industries could be lost if these tariffs are implemented versus, you know, 600 jobs in the steel industry that they claim are threatened by um, these, these current uh, prices as they stand now. Mm-hmm. Then why is this being considered with that in mind? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. There, um, the first time this was looked at by the International Trade Commission and the Department of Commerce, uh, you know, very good uh, cases have been made across the board to various economic studies and um, employment studies on GDP, as well as just looking at the the steel market and seeing if Cleveland Cliffs and domestic manufacturers are are being threatened and, and being uh, unfairly competed against by these foreign importers. The other companies that make tin plate steel, U.S. Steel and the the other smaller concern, which whose name escapes me at the moment, they're not even part of this petition. They're not taking part in this. Uh, I would assume the Biden administration is looking at this uh, because they – are very close to organized labor. Uh, they try to, uh, Joe Biden talks all the time about his family's background and uh, unions and being up in Scranton, PA, and how the unions were a uh, big part of his uh, initial political career in Delaware and his, uh, you know, his upbringing. And he relates to working men and women, which is, which is all fine. But, um, you, you, when you look at it from the point of view of what it's potentially political in the sense that, you know, he wants to uh, do a favor for the organized labor unions. Uh, and also people, as you saw with a, a lot of Trump supporters, were applauded his efforts to limit steel coming into the country. So some with certain audiences, it plays well. So my sh- the long answer, but the short answer is it's potentially political. We don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but when somebody does take the time to fill out one of these petitions and make, say, Section 232, which is part of the National Defense Bill from the 1960s, claim of um, you know injuries from dumping, the, uh, they take it seriously and they look at it. We don't think it's very serious. We think it's very dangerous and very harmful. 
And so um, hopefully they make a decision next month and agree with uh, the vast majority of people who study this issue uh, and do not make a political decision that, um, you know, would try to uh, please the unions. If this goes through, what can consumers expect to happen from this? Well, well, it would, you're going to see shortages of stuff. If there are some products you really rely on that come in cans, any food items or uh, gardening, like you get motor oil. I buy, I have three dogs. I buy a lot of dog food. You're going to see prices go up, and it's going to, you know, it's going to hit you. There's really no place else to go from cans. The the most affordable items come in cans, and that's one of the reasons why production has picked up somewhat over the last few years is that with COVID and the downturn in the economy, the affordability of cans was a refuge for some people, uh, for families, you know, to put food on the table and, and meet their budgets, whereas you know, having to scale back. So you're going to see prices go up and, uh, and you will more than likely buy less of the items, um, just because, you, you know, what it'll do to your budget. Uh, and potentially, too, again, you know, you could see uh, shortages of some items just because production will necessarily have to go down with the, with the higher prices. And, you know, the U.S. makers can't meet the demand of our uh, uh, can makers. So it's bad all the way around. It's the, kind of the worst of uh, all worlds. What has Case been doing to combat this? Well, we have launched a campaign. It's called Crush the Can Tax. And if people would like to learn more, they can go to crushthecantax.com. And uh, we are uh, recruiting a lot of, um, you know, and educating and informing a lot of lawmakers and opinion leaders uh, in various industries that are dependent upon cans, and uh, elected officials, uh, spreading the word, you know, we're publishing op-eds. We're doing radio interviews like this. You know, if you contact your uh, local representative or senator and say, you know, we hope that you will take a stand against this and let the Department of Commerce know, uh, you know, to increase the volume of, on how dangerous and damaging this would be to my constituents, which is we have a uh, a large and growing contingent of lawmakers from from Republican and Democrat uh, chiming in on this. Um, you know, it's especially devastating to the poor. Again, it's a very regressive tax. Uh, people are well off. It's not going to affect them as much. But you know, when a, a lot of your uh, groceries are you know come in cans, that of course it's going to hit those people uh, who you know are relying on it, as well as um, food banks and. You know, charity organizations, uh, kitchens that, you know, help feed uh, poor families, uh, donations will go down. And, you know, you'll see it everywhere where uh, schools and restaurants, departments of the government, like defense, uh, you know, they feed soldiers food in cans. Uh, you know, so it'll make the cost of government go up. There'll be budget deficits increasing. And... Um, so we feel the more people that we can educate and alert to this, 
you know, the more voices that we'll have will, will be building a consensus um, that when the Department of Commerce, you know, weighs all of the input that they're getting, um, they'll make it very clearly see that uh, you know, this is absolutely the wrong thing to approve. And, um, you know, they'll have solid evidence in which to reject this as well. Uh, we've made the case through economic studies, employment studies, uh, historical evidence. You know, in every case, tariffs of these natures um, uh, are very inflationary. It, it put people out of work, and it slows GDP. And given the way the weakness of the economy currently, uh, that would be you, you don't have to you don't have to paint a picture of how bad things could get. Well, you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Maggie Pidcock, and I've been talking with Gerard Simica, who's the chairman of the Free Market Group Consumer Action for Strong Economy. Thanks so much for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the chance to talk to you about this issue. In order to hear more about this issue or other issues that CASE advocates for, go to caseforconsumers.org. Once again, you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.